Welcome to our podcast, Revival in Jesus' Way. Disciple making is Jesus' way to change the world. This is the one mission that his people should focus on. There is only one way, his way, to create lasting transformation. And God is calling his church to wake up. I'm your host, Tim Cahill. And I am Yin Yan Xu. You are at our Christian Foundation series, episode 3. Four facts you want to know before opening your Bible. Foundation series on a list of basic topics which have to be settled in a new Christian's life for future healthy growth. We hope this series can help our listeners in two ways. First, for your own growth. Second, to help others to have clarity through your explanation in those areas because people wouldn't just get it naturally. That's right. And this is four facts that we want to know before we open our Bible. Before we start to explore the Bible, if we can settle these in our mind, then we can approach it in the best way possible. And as just a summary of these four facts is fact number one, the Bible is a diverse collection of writings, not just one big book. Each writing was specifically selected based on certain criteria, on reasons based on its inspiration, its timing of being written, its worth in getting to know God and learning about him. It's, the Bible is like a case file gathered with the best evidence for the case. I, fact number two is that each book is written for a different purpose of God at a different time. So we have to read each one according to its genre and grasp it according to the purpose it was written for. For instance, with the Psalms, they talk about God in all kinds of contradicting ways. You know, in one chapter, it talks about God like he's a big bird, like under his wings. In another chapter, it talks about God as a tower. You know, is God a tower or is he a bird? You know, if we understand the genre and we understand the reason, the purpose that that Psalm was written, then we can know how to take it. We can know what that psalmist is trying to express about it, that he's expressing it in a poetic way of describing how God is protective over us, about how he shields us, about how he is a, a tower to us in that way. So understanding the genre, understanding, and helps us grasp the, the meaning of what the author is trying to convey. Uh, fact number three. You know, the Bible is not just, a lot of people think of the Bible, they just say, oh, the Bible is just God's word. Uh, a lot of times they think of it almost like it's a big magic pen that God controlled and had uh, his exact words written out through whatever person was writing it. But basically it was just word for word what God wanted to say in that situation. Um, and this is what Islam teaches, actually, that Gabriel came and word for word and Muhammad quickly wrote it down. And then that's what went into their scripture. But the Bible is not that way. Um, from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Holy Spirit inspires people to accomplish the purposes that they're writing these letters for um, under a purpose of God. The Holy Spirit inspires them by bringing things to remembrance, by giving boldness and giving a talent for writing these things out well and accurately. Finally, fact number four, the writings of the Bible were written for common people and to be understood and being read as a whole. They weren't really meant to be taken in, in peace part. They were meant to be uh, read out, and, and they were meant to be understood. They were meant to be understandable. And so that's fact number four. The books of the Bible were written to be understandable and for the common people and to be understood as a whole. Um, for instance, uh, for some of these books, historical books explain events 
and we can see how the people involved um, interacted with God and each other. Prophetic books help us to wake up by hearing about events that happen in the future or that we're predicting to have come to pass or about specific exaltations and comments on the behavior of Israel and the behavior of Christians in certain generations and about how they were called back to God's way. Um, we can learn from letters that, that the disciples sent out. We can learn about how they address different issues, how the faith, how we can wrestle with different issues in the faith. They're meant for encouraging and building us up. And that's kind of the main purpose of these letters, encouraging and building up people. So they can encourage us and help build us up to go forward in this life of faith. The wisdom writings help us to wrestle with big ideas about God, the world, justice, and fairness. Through the poetic psalms and other parts in the Bible that have this more poetic feel, we can learn to worship God. We can learn about worshiping the aspects of who God is and kind of wrapping our arms and minds around who God is. Mm -hmm. And without understanding, that's why we say it. Before you open the Bible, you want to understand those things because without those knowledge, uh, really there are there are many uh, ridiculous ways to study the Bible. We have uh, seen people who just uh, you know for days just study maybe that one sentence, that one mm -hmm. scripture, one verse. I mean, from for example, a, a letter in the New Testament. Whereas um, according to common sense, actually any of the letter we receive. How would you read a letter mm. from the first word to the last word? Mm -hmm. And then um, in the in the context, you know, uh, who wrote, who wrote this letter to me and what is the purpose? You know, uh, we wouldn't read a every day. I receive many um, junk letters, right? Mm. Not my email. I mean, literally the paper, and I wouldn't read it from the first word to the last. I would have a look at. Is it legitimate? If it's not, recycle, mm. right? And I, and even whatever kind of words they say there, I know they try to sell me something. So I wouldn't like emotionally read it and even cry, right? That's that's that. It, it should be completely different from the mm. letter you receive from your grandparents, mm. uh, a long letter from your old friends, and they try to explain a life situation to you, mm. right? And something you need to reply, you need to call them. Mm. So, so that's something we need to have this common sense when we read. Yeah, exactly. It, these letters, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about this uh, later, but these letters were meant to be read out in total to the congregation. They were meant, they were written in Koine Greek. They were written in a language that was meant to be understood by the common people. So Roman, Romans was not written like Kant's writings or something where it was meant to be like wrestled with by scholars and people and philosophers who knew the field were going to wrestle with it and figure it out. No, this was written to those people in Rome those very common, everyday, you know, workers who worked with stones, who worked with, you know, in carpentry, who did all these, like, just regular jobs, they were meant to understand it upon hearing it mm -hmm. and to act on it. And so that's that's the way that the books were written and, yeah. and thinking about the, you know, the writer and the purpose and those things really transforms the way that we approach those books. Mm -hmm. Even for people who cannot read, if you cannot read, then you just memorize the whole thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, many people can remember the whole thing. Yeah, and exactly. Then, but, but without understanding of those facts, really, um, what, what we see among the, our Christian friends, oftentimes, as a Christian we serve, maybe 
uh, one extreme is like then, wow, the Bible is so hard. It's it's God's word, mm. right? So hard, so so um, I cannot directly interpret. Mm. Um, interpretation of the Bible is a whole job. You need a degree or something. Mm. Uh, so so I should read Bible through uh, pastors, uh, scholars, other people. And then there is another opposite way. See, because the whole Bible is just God's word, so just so just take it. God is our friend, you know. We we just uh, simply just take it as the word as it is, mm. and then it brings lots of confusion. And and then uh, actually lots of atheists will say like, hey, well in Bible you have lots of contradicting thoughts, mm. you know. It means like it's not God's word. You just self deceiving yourself, think it's God's word. Yeah, and you can see that this understanding that people will take that understanding that they hear from people at church and things like that. And there's even people who will leave the faith because they say, oh, well, the Bible isn't really like that. You know, it's very obvious that these things in the Psalms don't agree with each other in the picture of God. Isn't that very silly? And people will come up with all kinds of objections. And I mean, some objections really need to be dealt with. But there's a lot of objections that come up because people just approach the Bible as if it were this big kind of magic book. Um, in a lot of ways, like the Quran is considered, you know, this big book that was just, you know, written God's word for word. And then we should just take it that way. We should just uh, take this section and say, oh, well, that's God's word. I can take these uh, several sentences away and post them on my mirror and never have read the context and use that as a life a life verse, you know, say like, oh, well, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So why did I fail at this job interview today? God must not exist. You know, the Bible yeah. must not be true. Mm-hmm. And that's very foolish because mm-hmm. that is not the way, that's not what Paul was saying at all. You know, so, mm-hmm. and if you read, if you knew that this came from a letter and this was addressed to certain people having certain issues and that Paul was coming from a certain place, trying to encourage them in a certain way, you know, he's trying to encourage them through persecution. And he was mm-hmm. talking about his own persecution. He was saying something mm-hmm. so deep about how in every situation, whether mm-hmm. it, he was rich or poor or starving mm-hmm. or whatever was happening. He talked about his financial yeah, and that God would be faithful no matter what that financial supply was. That He can He can carry on, He can move forward no matter what what is happening mm-hmm. because God is with Him. Mm-hmm. And so there's you know it's very deep when you look at the the book and its context and its genre mm-hmm. and what it means. So the consequences people can uh, I mean the consequence of people don't know about those facts about Bible is. People can really uh, their Christian life can stumble upon it mm-hmm. because people can can think oh well it doesn't work like you you said oh, but why in job I fail so it must be something I, I did wrong maybe or um, well I would just give God another chance mm-hmm. and then then give God another chance another chance and then why it, it doesn't work and so people um, either got stumble out of the faith. Or they stay in the space, but then they begin to think, well, actually, um, Bible is very hard, or uh, I maybe shouldn't take the Bible literally, and mm-hmm. begin to um, actually in their heart interpret Bible uh, however they want. Mm, that's a very good point. And because people have this expectation that the Bible is this way, um, and when they have that wrong expectation, they will mm-hmm. begin to sense that the Bible has failed, mm-hmm. when actually there's just this misunderstanding. They're approaching it 
thinking it's something it's not. So if the Bible fails to be something that it never was, it's not a failure on the Bible's part. It's actually a failure on our part from mm-hmm. understanding exactly in the diversity, in the fullness of what it is, seeing it as that, and then saying, okay, now I want to live my life according to what these scriptures say. Now I want to live my life and wrestle with what God has put and purposed in the Old and New Testament, in the scripture. Um, So let's dive in. Um, Fact number one is that the Bible is a diverse collection of writings. It's not just one big book. So it's actually a Two canons is is what they're called, the Old Testament canon and the New Testament canon. And a canon is a a grouping of books that are gathered together for a certain purpose. Or you could say a grouping of writings, because some of them aren't books, some of them are letters and different things. But these groups of writings that are gathered for a specific purpose. Now, so the Old Testament is 39 books, the New Testament is 27 books. And a collection of the Bible is 66 books. When we're looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are different factors that were used to determine what goes into the canon. Some of the major things that were used were figuring out whether or not there was indications of inspiration and whether or not what the timing was of that writing. Was that timing written at a critical time when God was acting um, in the history of either the church So that would be during Jesus's time, the time when Jesus lived, people knowing, people who knew Jesus, or in the Old Testament, the time of the kingdom of Israel, and through that Babylonian exile is kind of the timing when God, the Jewish people really considered that God was very active in their history and was speaking. He was actively speaking. And so those canons were collected from scriptures at that time where they saw those indications. For the Old Testament, We have the verbal tradition or the oral tradition. This is the Talmud and the Mishnah. These are two traditions that are pretty similar. They're basically just these arguings of uh, different priests and Jewish leaders, the Jewish religious leaders going, and, and according to Judaism, these go all the way back to Moses. Now, we have evidence they go back to at least the Babylonian exile, the time of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible. But these verbal tradition, this wrestling with it, we, we, from that we see that 22 of these books were pretty much not disputed at all, that they agreed that these were part of Israel's history, that these came from, these were the scriptures that down to Israel's beginning, they considered them to be holy scriptures. Now, the, you have the five books of Moses, which are called the law, and those continually did. And then you had these other books of the prophets that were added along the way. And you see this this level of agreement uh, throughout the, the Talmud and the Midrash or the Mishnah that these writings were agreed on. There were some that were wrestled with, particularly Ruth, because God's name is not mentioned throughout the book of Ruth, but eventually it was decided on. Uh, there was... Uh, a final conclusion that the rabbis came to um, right around Jesus' time that Ruth should go into the Bible, and then Ecclesiastes and Psalm of Psalms. For a lot of the reasons we wrestle with it today, I think, they wrestled with, should this be in Scripture? And eventually they decided that, yes, they, they go back, they, they're Scripture. They, they should be considered Holy Scripture. And so we have this collection that, as Christian people, 
we have inherited from the Jewish people, that they preserved them. They preserved them not only in meticulously copying them down age after age, but also passing down what is what books were inspired from God down through the generations. Mm-hmm. So that's very um, mind-blowing, even for myself, too. Um, so the question is, actually, for the first 10 years of my Christian life, maybe I have never thought about that. Because once I um, came out of atheism and I find out, well, Bible is true, I read some uh, uh, apologetics books, maybe they said that, but uh, I forgot. And then it seems to me it's it's not really related to my um, Christian life too much. Um, I just think, well, like, um, Bible is so has such authority it's just it it must be right like a you know 100 score 100 a full mark thing it's Hmm. like a text textbook so so why now you're saying that even for new christians it's helpful to know this um information yeah i think it's helpful one thing is just a sign of the age and that if you don't know these details sometimes people will get surprised even like in early on in middle school or things like that. I saw people get surprised by these kind of comments about, oh, hey, you know, when where this book came from, and people would like kind of pull out one book in the Old Testament and say, well, we don't even know about this. Or people ask about, kind of try to pull apart the Bible in that way. And if you just have this understanding that the Bible is just one document, that might shock you, actually. Like you said, like not a lot of people talk about this. So I think it's good to understand the details about where um, the scriptures came from. Now, we can have this level of confidence, like you were talking about. I think, a, you know, a lot of Christian teaching and thing is right when we say that, you know, the when we talk about the scriptures being inspired and we kind of just say, like, you know, the Old Testament is God's word um, in a way. There's There's something good about that because there are a lot of affirmations that, you know, that these words were God-breathed, that they're good, for for our learning that they're settled you know jesus talks about them as settled he talks about the law and the prophets will not pass away and he's come to fulfill those things you know they talk about it very authoritatively you know jesus Mm -hmm. confirms that this has come from a good place and that these things are of god so there's that confidence that we can have and kind of from the authority of jesus talking about it we don't really need to feel shaken up by it but i think understanding the details of how these things came together um, is important. The you know the uh, popular preacher we like likes to say you know people say the devil is in the details, but actually God is often in the details because when we have a shallow understanding, we don't approach things as realistic. We don't really think about uh, where they've come from, and so that's another point of what we're doing here is each of these books was written for a particular purpose. They were written. Um, for a particular thing, they were. It is not just one big kind of mush of one big book, but it's several books. You know, Exodus isn't read the same way that Genesis is read. Oftentimes, you know, Psalms are not read the same way as the prophets. So we need to understand these these divisions in a way to be able to read and honor God in the way that we read Scripture. Now, another question is: So I. Um, I heard you say a lot of the words, you use the word wrestle, wrestle through. And that can really, um, on the first hearing, can really make me feel 
nervous because the whole the whole process involves so much human behavior. And then Bible already teach us the human uh, we human are right sinners and like not really trustworthy, but then so much human effort and you wrestle here, wrestle there, and wrestle through thousands of years. Um, do, can can we like after after you explain out? I think people might ask, can we trust Bible now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can so, we trust the, the the action of the the selection of sixty six books? So it's not which um how how can how can we be sure it's not fifty? I know you touched that already, but I just want to emphasize that how do we know it's not fifty book? How do we know it's not one hundred book? Like that we can maybe we can uh, use New Testament as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, and we'll kind of get into the New Testament then. So we're talking about all of it. So the New Testament was the canon of books was decided um, during the Council of Nicaea that happened around 300 AD. And this council, um, there's a lot of misconceptions about it. So it was this council was the bringing together of a lot of Christian leaders. It had to do with Constantine. Constantine was was um, encouraging this to happen. Like sponsoring them? Was sponsoring it, but he was not residing over like a committee. Like I think people have a picture of kind of like Constantine sitting in a big throne with a room of these scholars or some Christian leaders all around him. And they're arguing because they're very much disputing what will go in and what won't. And then Constantine is like, well, these books are better for the government. And so put these books in. Or he's saying like these books... And so like, that's not the case. So that's not the case. Yeah, the case is really it was Constantine really wasn't involved at all in the actual deciding. He sponsored this. He said that this is something that should happen, but he was not dictating what should happen. In fact, the the council also was pretty much unanimous in their decisions. There weren't there wasn't like this big wrestling that people often like to try to make into what happened. They say, oh, there was a council and there must have been a lot of wrestling. No, there was pretty much a, a, a good amount of agreement. And part of that is what they went off of. The factors they went off of was they wanted to, um, they said those books that go into scripture should be people around that time that would have known Jesus. They were apostolic, so considered apostles. So those people who mm-hmm. knew Jesus or were directed by Jesus, like the disciples, like Paul, those people um, would be the, uh, the, those writings would be the ones that would make it into scripture. And those ones that were early, people who they knew would have known Jesus. So timing was important. Being uh, apostolic was important. Um, and again, there was this pretty much unanimous agreement. Now, some people will point out now, they have like these, what are called the Gnostic Gospels. You know, there's a lot of for some years ago, there was a lot of controversy about this. You know, why didn't the Gospel of Thomas, for instance, get into Scripture? And again, they actually had the evidence that they had then. We have 90% of it today. We have 99% of it. There are some writings that people think may have been lost from earlier in those days that the Church Fathers reference, but um, because parchment is old and it doesn't always last uh, forever and, and Maybe these those ones weren't copied out, but we have the vast majority of the evidence that they were actually looking at. And for something like the Gospel of Thomas, there is wide agreement that the Gospel of Thomas was not something that was scripture. 
when we read like Irenaeus, we read the church fathers. Um, when it does happen, they do happen to mention the Gospel of Thomas. They mention it as a heretical book that was written later by this kind of these people leading this heresy. And then also um, one of the factors that they used in the Council of Nicaea was the agreement with orthodoxy. So they looked at the earliest one, they looked at the writings that they said these are definitely written by those apostolic authors. These are definitely written by people who are involved with Jesus. And then they, from that, they compared these other writings to see if uh, they had agreement with that. And in a lot of places, the Gospel of Thomas does not agree with the other writings. So based on like no agreement that the Gospel of Thomas should be in Scripture, and based on the fact that it disagreed with all of these other writings that had a lot of evidence that they were apostolic, like they had the church fathers from the beginning on wrote about these things being uh, scripture. So you have like Irenaeus, you have like um, you have Justin Martyr, you have different people in church history within one generation of the apostles writing and saying these books are scripture, these books are a little bit questionable, these books are definitely not scripture. So you have this kind of talk, and there really aren't that many books. There really weren't any books for the council that were really in. And these books that nowadays we're saying, oh, why didn't this fall in it? Why didn't this fall in it? There's pretty, there's very good reasons why it didn't. It disagrees with the writings they knew came from apostles. And it also doesn't have any reference from either the apostles themselves or from the generations after that. No one is saying the Gospel of Thomas is a good book that should go into scripture, except maybe some people who are kind of Trying the to writing make... time is much, was much later. Yeah, exactly. Like that. So it seems to me that the whole process, as you speak uh, historically, uh, was very serious, very, um, how do I say, like that of those researchers or um, those uh, detectives. It's a very uh, serious, like solving case, that kind of attitude, mm. right? Um, so it seems to me there there were um, uh, uh, qualified people who who did this, mm. and also uh, it was done. It, it has the uh, community evidence. It it was. Uh, uh, I mean, it's uh, when people do that, other the the Christian community agreed. Yeah, exactly. Time. So and like the rabbis for instance for the old testament they would really wrestle with a lot of things mm -hmm. and you see them wrestling even with like these other books you know they're really wrestling with is this scripture is this inspired so there was a lot of that wrestling there was a lot mm -hmm. of that really thinking through these processes and making sure that the right things came in there was no dismissal of books that that was really that really should have been considered when you look at the things that they considered and the way they looked at it you know, for the Old Testament, there's pretty much those works that were written that that have those sayings from God, those did find their way into the Old Testament. There aren't really a bunch of works that were like, oh, well, why didn't these for the Old Testament? And then for the New Testament, these works that um, people, some people nowadays will say, well, why didn't it? There's a lot of great reasons for why they didn't. And I don't really think they were really that much of a question on people's minds at that time. 
because it makes a lot of sense that these books shouldn't find their way into the New Testament canon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So actually, um, compared to our nowadays, and also people at that time, they uh, they were not affected by postmodernism. Mm. They don't even have modern, but actually the the postmodernism really uh, has um, a big damage to people's common sense and um, logic thinking. Mm. Um, because people at that time wouldn't take on our like nowadays, like oh you have your truth, I have my truth. Uh, let's just not talk about it. Mm. Think about like this kind of atmosphere so prevail in church. Uh, careful, uh, carefully uh, wrestling through the truth, um, debating, carefully study, examining the scripture, and all those things are just uh, not so common. Mm. And there are there are many dedicated individuals who and pastors, you know, who who really have those things, but it's just unfortunately it's not the culture atmosphere in America church anymore and maybe mm. in other places too. Yeah, that's right. So there was, so we see just but it's a very commonsensical kind of thing for them to be able to rule out, hey, this doesn't belong and this does belong. You know, they they saw it in a, they took things in a very logical way and, and broke it down. Um, so the main point here is that each writing was specifically selected based on certain criteria on reasons um, to believe in its inspiration, its timing when it was written, um, its worth and getting to know God and learning about him. It's like a case file um, filtered and gathered with the best evidence, with the writings that have the most confirmation, that have the most ability to help us to know God and know what God has said. So fact number two, each book was written for a different purpose of God at a different time. So uh, starting with the Old Testament, we have historically, you've probably heard, if you've read the New Testament at all, you've probably heard this distinction of the law and the prophets. So a lot of times in the New Test, in the Old Testament, people will refer to the scriptures as the law and the prophets. And this is kind of a very early division. The way uh, some other Jewish people in the, like we had mentioned the Talmud, the, the Mishnah, or Josephus, the historian who was born right around the time Jesus died, um, they'll talk about these three divisions, the law, the prophets, and the writings. The law is like the books of the five books of Moses. So the first five books in the Old Testament. And those were to instruct Israel on how they should live to tell them about some history, but to really give them laws and things to tell them about how God says you should live. Uh, here are things you should obey. Then you have the prophets. And these writings are going to this prophet category because in Judaism they say that these were, they believe these were written by prophets. Um, so, and, the, and these are books that are calling Israel back, calling Israel back to the way that Moses had through God, instructed them to behave in the first place and to represent God in the world in the, ver in the first place. And so this is, there are um, like Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then the 12 minor prophets together in one book were considered the prophets. And then there are other writings that fall into other kind of categories. When you hear the law and the prophets, 
in the Old Testament, they say a lot of times that refers also the prophets also refers to the writings. But the writings is a separate category that certain Jewish people in history had made. And it's just these other these other writings that are considered scripture. You know, there's a wide agreement, pretty much unanimous agreement that these are scriptures, although there was wrestling for those three books we talked about. Um, but these are kind of, they don't fall into the first two categories, so they are in another category. So one logical way, nowadays we have what we call genres. And genres is a more modern way of breaking up writings into sections so that we can understand and approach them in the right way. And so some of the genres that the Old Testament writings fall into are, number one is historical so, for instance, historical books are something like Exodus, like Genesis. Numbers has a lot of history in it. You have the book of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, Kings. These, are, these and some others are all historical books. And so you can know a historical book because it chronicles different events that have happened that are really said to have happened in history, like actually took place. So what we learn from these historical books is God's interaction with people, how people have fallen away from God, what, what God did in the history of people, how they wrestled, and there's that word wrestled again, but how people wrestled with God in history. And, and you learn about that, especially from the Old Testament historical books, you learn about Israel's wrestling with God from these law books. And so the main law books are actually Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, although there's some laws found in Exodus and also in Numbers, but Exodus and Deuteronomy are almost strictly law books. And so a lot of people find these hard to read through, but they, they go over different instructions God specifically gave through Moses to the people of Israel to obey at that time. They, they were given to Israel as a community, as a country to be governed by. And one thing we do with the law is we wrestle with it, right? Because there's a, because as Christians, we have to really read through like Romans and Galatians and Jesus' words, and we discover about what, what laws actually apply to us, what law, and we have, have to also wrestle with, you know, what is God saying um, to call, because he's calling the Israel people to be holy and separate from the people around them, to be a representative of him. So what laws are, are calling them to be holy mainly, what laws are for that time, what laws express a, um, because the laws also often express a moral truth that we can learn from it. We can see these moral truths from what is morally right um, based on what God is telling them to do or to not do, right? So we can wrestle with really what is just and what is right and a little bit of how we can live in the law. And so the law is something that we wrestle with a lot as Christians because now we're, you know, we're under grace, we're not under law, but still the law has its effect. The law is still, it, it was given from God to Israel at that time for very good reasons. So we should look at it, understand it, and wrestle with how it affects our lives, how it affects the way that we live and, and work with one another. The wisdom literature is... These books like Ecclesiastes, people say that Job kind of falls into this wisdom literature. Um, Proverbs is in the wisdom literature. And these are wrestlings with big concepts like truth and justice and what is right, what's the right way to live. And so 
because these books are often wrestling, like Proverbs is often giving these statements about what is what is the right way to live? What is the what is really just? So a lot of times these statements people will say they don't they don't really seem to they don't happen in the real world. And that's true for some of these things, but there are the standards of the way things should be. We can see this this like the, the some sometimes you see things about the way the world really works deep down, like the way justice works. And in Ecclesiastes there's this wrestling with wisdom, the wrestling with how you should work, how people should live, and often Solomon is making statements even that are not really biblical, are not really like um godly statements, because he's he's chronicling as an older man his wrestling with these different worldviews and these different ways of thinking. So these wisdom books help us to wrestle with big ideas and philosophy and, and really learn about what does it mean? What does God mean by justice and truth? And what is it what does evil mean in our lives? What is it how how do we think about it? How how do we understand it in our place with God? Um, books of poetry, there's poetry found in some of the other letters, but Psalms is the biggest probably book of poetry. And this shows us how to worship God. It gives us a real example of worshiping and praising God. Um, and then prophetic books, which again, they call us, they call, they were written to talk about some things that will happen in the future. They're also written primarily to call the people of Israel back to the truth, back to God. And so when we read these prophetic works, we can read them to see some evidences of the truth of Scripture with things that have been fulfilled. We can learn a little bit about our hope in the end days. That about what our hope is in this world, because a lot of the prophets will talk about that hope of of what God is is doing in the world, what He will do, and we can also learn about we can feel the call back to God, because often the things Israel was wrestling with, we ourselves we wrestle with too. Mm-hmm. And really, it's a, um, so really like um, prophetic books. When we see the word prophecy, I really think. Really, before I read the Bible, I just think it, it, they are the books to tell you about the future. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, but actually, a prophetic book is more like a um, when the when when you read this with the history book at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, like which uh, which dynasty, what happened, what king, and then you see uh, God's voice. Mm-hmm. So it's like you you read a a real time comment for what is happening mm, in the yeah. world. So to just to imagine like uh, what is happening now in America, in many countries, right? Um, if God is going to write a book and which God has an opinion, actually, it's just you don't see a book mm. there, but actually God has the real time comments on Whatever you do as an individual, whatever your group do, whatever mm. this country do, this state do, um, you know there is the living book, mm. and those things will be reviewed on the judgment day. Mm. And then, and then also the um, wisdom book, uh, like you mentioned, Ecclesiastes, um, was written when Solomon was older. Mm. After he, after he kind of, uh, he, he, he was a really godly man in the beginning, and then he began to deviate from God's law to more and more, mm. and then to seek out all those worldly wisdom, and that's why um, Ecclesiastes actually is a book, probably ninety percent 
uh, views there are not biblical. It's mm. in the Bible, but it's not biblical because mm. it's, it's God gave him space. Because oftentimes when God sees someone doesn't want to stick with him, then God gave that person space to leave mm. and then to walk around to see which which idol is better, which uh, which worldview is better than me. Mm. If you want other God. Go ahead. Mm, so right. we can see after we read this book, actually, we will have a deeper thought of our own lives. Mm. And then we will actually have more fear for God, mm. a healthy fear for God. Because we, al- we also know that when we do something wrong or when we deviate from God's way, mm. Be careful. God wouldn't stop you. God might not stop you. Mm, Sometimes God might would, but God would, the space is so big Mm. to other people. Mm. You can think about it. How many wives did he have? Many. Thousands? Yeah. Think about it. We we would think like God would stop him when it's the second one, when it's the 100 one. Mm. But the scary thing is God didn't. And then the result is he lost his whole kingdom whole country right he did his son the the, the kingdom know, split his, after his son, he yeah, died yeah but the prophecy was given to him when he was alive he he know that's because he caused that mm, he, that's right and yeah then he that's true. a city son mm-hmm, yeah. on the way yeah. and very quickly he gave out mm. the, i mean yeah yeah that's yeah, yeah that's we, right we, we we get it yeah exactly so we, yeah, exactly. So yeah, he. <laughs> so yeah, the each book, according to why it was written and what it was written for, it helps us to see its usefulness. You know, we shouldn't take verses out of Ecclesiastes and you know just say, oh well, this is this is true, this is the truth, because you have to read what is he wrestling with there, and then you also read what is his conclusion. Like it's also very important to read like what is his conclusion at the end of wrestling with that. Because that also gives a closer picture to what is the truth as he's wrestling with it, as he's seeing what works and what doesn't work. Now, the last question about this section is uh, we go back to the law because it's very important because uh, oftentimes when we, in our ministry, we ask other people, hey, have you read the Bible from cover to cover? Mm. And people oftentimes will say, well, I started and then stop at uh, Exodus or Numbers mm, or Leviticus, or Leviticus yeah. and then uh, next year stop again, you know, mm. or, or I just read the New Testament. Um, I think I really understand because um, maybe just in recent years, I felt like those books are more readable. Mm. Um, uh, when you maybe read more background, those things uh, like, some Bible projects videos, I really like that. And uh, David Parsons, um, Pastor David Parsons, uh, unlocking the Old Testament, Old Testament and New Testament. Mm, yeah, uh, those courses. Mm-hmm. Um, really, it's hard because I think one reason is because okay, I know those laws at that time. It's just like something I learned from the history textbook. What's what's useful for me? And and really, many laws already is. Uh, the specific law already not suitable for a current uh, society now, and so so like why? And then 
And then it's like the many parts are like the bulletin point. Uh, do this, do that, that, right? And it, and it seems like it's, it's not the story part. But anyway, like, I mean, Genesis, really, many people read Genesis. <laughs> so, hmm. uh, so, so how should we read the law? Why is, why is it important? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the, yeah, and so the law, kind of like I said before, um, but the, the law is a specific laws that were given to the Jewish people from God. And so what we really learn, so we learn from there that we don't really learn from other books is we learn a lot about what God's holy standard is. Like a lot of times when I think of the law, I think about holiness. And so we see from one thing about the laws around the temple, we see about how specific the priests needed to be, how holy they had to treat the temple of God. We see about um, how meticulous they were, even with like the the way that the um, the mixture was made for incense. Like you see, like in all these details that you wouldn't see if you don't really read, like how specific they were. You see, actually, how important holiness is. Like you see how important really honoring God is. How, how what a fearful thing it is to be before an Almighty and Holy God. I think you really get that picture more than in anywhere else when you read through these laws and you see um, in Leviticus and and in um, Deuteronomy and in these sort of law books, you see those things and you you wrestle with it. You also see things about God's holy standard applied in practical ways. So you see God actually making decisions and disputes and things like that. You see him ruling on those things. And so it gives us an idea of what God's holy standard is like in real life. And it, so you, you get a, a lot of these things that, that help you to understand God's holiness. I think that, that I would say again, like people you, that will miss it if we don't, if we don't really spend the time in Leviticus and in and, and, uh, Deuteronomy. And actually you can see that it's actually been to our shame in some ways that we haven't spent time in that. Because there's so many questions in our society today, right? Mm-hmm. That talk about what, well, what, what about what is this real law? Justice? Yeah, what is real justice? And people will say also about like they'll bring up homosexuality and they'll bring up things like that and they'll say, well, what does the you know you know well you know what do these laws mean for that? And then all kinds of churches are taking these different stances, but you know it's so it's a big shame actually that a lot of us have not because a lot of people have not really delved into those law books to really think and meditate on what does this mean for us today. Um, so I think it's, it's really valuable that we spend, uh, we spend time in each of the books of the Bible and we wrestle with it and we um, think about it and we have our Bible reading plan that includes them, um, includes them on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to move on to the New Testament and talk about these different categories in the New Testament. So the New Testament's a little bit easier which is good. The Old Testament has a, a lot of kind of a lot of a big breakdown in, in different kinds of books where the New Testament really has three main categories. You have historical, biographical, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and Acts. And then you have these letters and epistles. And these are letters that were written both to congregations and to people. That's kind of the breakdown there. There's pastoral ones, which is the, the uh, letters to Titus, the letters to Timothy. And those were written to specific people for their encouragement, for their building up, for for Paul giving them kind of at the end of his life, helping them to 
uh, understand about leadership and about training others, and then congregational. And these are written to encourage and to build up and help people to go forward and also to deal with certain specific issues that congregations were dealing with at those times. And then the last category is prophetic, and this is the book of Revelation. So the book of Revelation is really the only prophetic book in the New Testament that's strictly kind of prophetic. And you see these different letters from Jesus at the beginning calling out the churches at the time to come back to him. So that's that kind of prophecy picture. You see like visions of what God's, the hope in the end times will be. That's one thing I think is really interesting. Oftentimes now when you meet people that are very big on the end times, there's hopelessness, you know, like there's this bunkering down that people have. But actually Revelation and also 1 Thessalonians, you can see Paul in 1 Thessalonians is giving them pictures of what the end times will be like to build up their hope, actually. It's to build up their hope that Jesus is coming back, that God is going to restore the world. And so... A big part of this prophetic and apocalyptic book and Revelation is doing that. Mm-hmm. So and Revelation is also a big letter. Yeah, it's a big letter, and and so these different, so these pastor these letters are more written for our encouragement and for our building up. You know, we can and we can see how actually um, the authors wrestled with these different issues and what God, uh, what is the right thing to do in these different issues, how can they deal with these different problems that congregations are going through? And we can wrestle with that in our own lives, the the issues that we're running into and things like that, about how should we wrestle with it? We can learn some about that. But then the main purpose of these letters is to help people go on, right? Mm -hmm. To help people move forward in their walk with Jesus. And so that's kind of the main focus when we read the epistles and the letters. We're reading mainly to see how can we go forward in knowing the Lord? How can we be encouraged in our faith and moving forward to be more like Jesus, to pursue God, to uh, make disciples? How can we be encouraged to move forward? And so taking those letters as kind of as a whole and learning from them. And then these biographical books. These are more commonsensical in their use, right? Because, I mean, they give a picture of Jesus and the disciples. They tell us like what they did, what they've been through. Um, They help us to see how they interacted with God, how they did ministry. They help us to see um, exactly who Jesus was and what he was like and to really get a good picture of what it means that he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead. You know, and so they help us to wrestle with what it's like to live before God, what it's like to um, live out this calling we have as Christians Um, We also learn from the different sermons and speeches that they give because Jesus' parables and talks are obviously found in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the apostles. Different speeches they gave are found there, and so we can learn from those. And And we can also learn from how should we speak about the gospel, how should we help others to understand God's truth from the way that they said it, from the way that they they instructed it, right? So these biographical books help us to do a lot of things and and wrestling with the lives of Jesus and the apostles. Mm -hmm. And also you can see it's interesting that uh, Revelation is like, uh, it's prophetic and also it's like a long letter from God himself Mm -hmm. uh, because God gave um, John those visions and asked him to write those things down to, to make a 
uh, final written down uh, warning and encouragement mm. for the for the churches. So you can see that the content, the direction of moving his church forward is the same as those letters. You can see like in the in the first century, like those letters were written to encourage and warn church, the correct church, um, because all those all um, God's local churches belongs to one global church, and then one global church, God has a blueprint. Mm. So we cannot say like uh, like nowadays, oftentimes like church will, will say, uh, well, but my church's understanding about this is this, my mm. denomination is this, but then it's God has a whole um, consistent blueprint for His church mm. because it's His bride. And so you can see how God co-work with them that the, 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 the direction of the, the encouragement and warning of revelation from Jesus' own very word and from Paul's word, Peter's word, James' mm. word, they are, they are all the same, the same mm. direction. So, right. so it's an encouragement to us that we are to live like that and we, we are also need to help church to keep, keep churches and all Christians accountable to our Savior. Mm. Amen. Um, so let's uh, move on through fact number three. And so the writings in the Bible are inspired according to their purpose and the abilities of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I mean by here is there's these two things, right? There's the, the purpose that this letter was written for. And then there's what we know about the Holy Spirit, about we, we need to kind of wrestle with, like, who is the Holy Spirit and what does he do? And then that will give us a, a clearer picture about what does it mean when we say, that the Bible is inspired. What does it mean when we say these different books are inspired? Again, it's not really the picture of, you know, like God just like taking over a person's body and writing out those things. There's a little bit more complexity happening here. So the first book, kind of the big verse about inspiration, biblical inspiration is 2 Peter 1, especially down in verses 20 and 21. And Peter in uh, the middle of verse 20 says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit so no prophecy it came from just a person kind of just interpreting the situation and just writing it themselves and that's it so right that's one thing that we can completely dismiss is that none of none of the things found in the canon right none of the things in the old and new testament were written down for the purpose of that own person's interpretation. Um, it, it wasn't just them writing out what they thought, um, but actually the Holy Spirit was involved, and Peter refers to it as they were carried along. They were, they were moved along as they went by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was very active in the role of these books being written down. Um, then in 2 Timothy 3.16, we see Paul say that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. So again, he says scripture is breathed out by God. So God has some authorship in all of these books. Like God is, again, this is, God is involved in the producing of it. This is, these are books, letters, things that are coming from God's own heart in a way. That he's, people are writing it for specific purposes at a specific time for a specific reason. But God's heart is being expressed, right? Because these people are doing it 
in conjunction with God. They're doing it in following with God. They're doing it for um, the purposes that God has called them to. Right. And then the Holy Spirit is there with them, carrying them along, um, inspiring them in some ways we're about to talk about more specifically to help them write out these letters in a way that will be effective and accurate. Um, and then just uh, this question will usually come up, so I want to cover it. Yes, in the New Testament, whenever we hear the word scripture, they are mainly talking about the Old Testament, right? They're talking about meditating on the Old Testament. Um, they're talking about um, knowing the, the Old Testament because those were the scriptures at the time. But we know one place from Peter's, um, from Second Peter 3, um, verses 15 and 16, that where he talks about Paul's writing, he says that, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes in the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do with other scriptures to their own destruction. So whenever scriptures are being talked of, also at that time, Paul's letters, and we get the impression that also... Peter, because he's sitting here talking through it, also his letters and these other letters were considered in this kind of category of what it meant to be scriptures. So some other verses more specifically about um, Holy Spirit's inspiration. How does the Holy Spirit inspire? So in John 14, verse 26, Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, he said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So one thing the Holy Spirit does is he teaches us. He teaches us like deep things about God, right? And then he also brings to remembrance all that um, that Jesus said. So especially you're thinking about the disciples. Jesus is talking to the disciples here and he's saying, you know, that the Holy Spirit specifically is going to help you remember about me, right? So that's one work that the Holy Spirit is doing and inspiring these scriptures is he is in a miraculous kind of way working with the disciples to help them to remember things about him, to help them to be able to write down accurately about his life and the things he did. So are you talking about that um, uh, people at that time when they, when they followed Jesus um, for that 30 years, uh, I mean, they didn't take their pen and notebook with them all the time to write down those things and, and thinking those will become scriptures later. Mm, that's right. And it's, then it's amazing that actually Matthew can write down the Sermon of the Mount and uh, uh, like for, for John, when he wrote the, the Gospel of John, he was pretty old. Mm. And then he can uh, write down like the it's, it's especially chapter 17. Think mm. about like the whole private, uh, Jesus prayer in private. Mm. That's right. And so the, yeah, so a lot of these things that were going on, like you said, even Jesus' private prayer and, and things, which I'm guessing Jesus probably told them about that prayer and explained to them what he had said in the prayer later. We just don't have it written down that he told them that. Um, but the these well, things, he took them. right? He took I think them he with took him. Them and then, but then they, when they heard about it, it's just another day's 
first. Yeah. Jesus always prayed, right?、Mm-hmm. And then how they specifically remembered that prayer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's amazing. It is amazing, and that's one thing that we see from Scripture that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would come and do is help them to remember the things、um, that He said, the things that He did. You know, would bring these things to remembrance. And so, even though they didn't have a pen and writing there. Obviously, a lot of these things stuck with them because, like we see、um, in the Gospels, they were probably things that were an oral tradition before they're written down. Because Paul says some things that are connected to things that are in the Gospels, so he's obviously heard some of these stories and some of these things about Jesus. So they were being spoken about for a while, and that probably helped people remember too. But then there is a supernatural element. Of inspiration in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit is helping them to remember.、Mm-hmm. Um, in Exodus 34, 27, we see another aspect of what it means that the Scriptures are inspired.、Um, the Lord said to Moses, "Write, write down these words. In accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel." So this is a specific case where God is telling Moses, and this has happened. This happens several times at different occasions in Scripture. Where certain things God says, "Hey, write this down word for word," because I want you to say this just this way. And so this is actually a case where you know Moses is writing down, putting it down in some way where this these words that God is saying. And many of the prophets, there's a saying where God says, "Thus say to the people," or something like that. And so God is dictating actual words for them to go and say to the people. And then they go and they say it. So there are those occasions too, and within Scripture, along with the、um, inspiration in different ways that God is giving,、uh, where they're actually giving specific things to write down. In Revelation 1:19, Jesus or the angel tells John, he says, "Write therefore what you have seen,、uh, what is now, and what will take place later." And so he's told to write down the things as they're happening. That's another way of kind of this inspiration. That was happening is that John is writing down events that he's seeing in this prophetic vision, and they're having him write it down so that he can remember.、Um, then in Exodus 31, this is a different angle on how the Holy Spirit can inspire. And so this is when they're building the temple, and God is talking to Moses and says, "Now the Lord said to Moses, saying, 'See, I have called、uh, Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make artistic designs and works in gold, silver, and bronze. So God has、um, filled this person, right, this Bezalel, with a spirit of wisdom, with His Holy Spirit, and is giving him the ability to do these artistic things, to be able to build it well, and just as God said to build it, right. And so I think this is a nice picture that we have of also what it means to be inspired, doing some kind of work inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we can see in the same way that Bezalel is re- able to remember what God is saying to Moses at this time. He's able to know kind of what God's desire is for these different shapes and things that will go into the temple.、Mm-hmm. So in the same way, the apostles, when they're writing, being inspired, they're writing these things. In the way that God would want to put them, and they're writing and and designing these things in a way that will convey the truth in a, a good way. Of course, they're doing it with their own personality. You can imagine Bezalel, you know, designing these things, and there's going to be a little bit of his touch in it. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because God, you know, is not just taking over him. But God but, loves to co-work with people. Yeah, exactly. And so instead of just like taking over his body, he gives him wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Because think about when Adam and Eve worked in the uh, garden, mm. and then God wouldn't, um, uh, each day God would communicate with them, maybe uh, walk around there, but then God wouldn't micromanage. Mm. Think about how many people hate micromanagement, you know, like to say, hey, this leaf shouldn't be cut in that way. Hey, this animal doesn't like that, mm. right? That's right. Um, God should have the basic, I mean, God has divine wisdom in management. He mm. wouldn't do that. Yeah, that's right. And so, yeah, he's not micromanaging, but he's giving him wisdom and knowledge and craftsmanship. He's giving them this ability to be able to design and think of different plans and stuff and be able to be artistic and creative. And so in the same way, you can see the apostles being gifted in this way to be creative to be able to convey the truth well, to be able to remember the truth well. And then finally, one more aspect I want to cover is in Acts 4, um, after Peter is in prison, after they escape, at, well, it's after Peter and John are beaten, they come out, actually they end up praising God, and the people, the other Christians are out there begin praising God too. And it says in Acts 4.31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak with boldness. So there's also this aspect of speaking with boldness, you know, saying it out. Um, And so that is part of it. So um, inspiration is according to what the Holy Spirit does. You know, it's not ghost writing. Um, So the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance. He gives courage and boldness to say the truth. And he also gives skill in that particular field in writing, in being able to, to write things. You know, people will often say with Romans, it's this great, text is this great like writing as far as like legal work like oh it's really great as far as that it's big philosophically it's great but then at the same time it's written for the common people you know that's amazing you know like they say like luke is this great it gets all these facts right like a lot of these even biographies and things like that don't like luke really like did a good job in organizing this um history yeah and and so, you know, it's amazing that you see through this inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it means, I think it really means that the Holy Spirit is acting in a way to help them to artfully and well and accurately produce these things. So fact number four and our last fact is that the writings in the Bible were written for the common people and they were to be understood as a whole. So in the Old Testament, some of the um, evidence we can see of this is um, in Deuteronomy 31, verses 10 and 11, um, one of the verses that talks about this is Moses commanded the people. He said, at the end of the seven years of the appointed time of the year of the remission of debt during the Feast of Tabernacles, when all of Israel comes before the Lord, your God, at the place he will choose, you are to read the law and the hearing of all of Israel. So they were meant to hear this law all the way from beginning to end and to understand it to be able to take it in and to be able to understand the main points there. They're also called, and you, ever, you, you may remember this from Scripture, but the call to you know, write it on their hands, to you know, make it part of their life, to regularly teach it to others, to you know, talk about it when they're walking back and forth. So there, there's many directives, but it's, it was they, they were called to hear it as a whole and to understand it and to take it in. And it was expected that they would understand. Like, that's so important today because that's mm-hmm. so neglected is they were 
meant to understand all five books of Moses, mm -hmm. like the books that we get stuck on, we talked about earlier, they were meant to hear these out and they were meant to catch the main meaning from it by hearing it out. You know, I think that's amazing. Compared to that, nobody should complain nowadays. A uh, one hour uh, Sunday church worship with music and all that, mm -hmm. and then pastor will share some jokes. That's the truth. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah, that's the truth. And after that, Moses wouldn't ask, like, okay, now what is your favorite passage? Mm. How dare you? Yeah. Say, Which one is your favorite passage? Take yeah. it off. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're supposed to listen to all of it. Yeah, you're supposed to obey all of it. Um, another way we see them treating scriptures is if you notice as you're reading through scripture, um, Psalm 119 verses 9 and 11 is just one actually of many examples. Um, I remember in our Hebrew uh, history of the Bible class, um, uh, uh, my professor back then, he talked about this phrase, write these things on your heart and how this was a direct application to memorize portions of the Old Testament to um, Jewish people. And so, like, there's also this call to memorize, you know, portions, even large portions of Scripture, and to always, like, have those with you and, you know, have them memorized where you can recall them um, when you're talking to other people. And so this is another way that they were called to treat Scripture, to memorize it, to hear it all out as a whole and to um, take it in and to understand it, and they were expected to understand it. Now, these Old Testament principles are carried on into the New Testament. And we see that, one, because we're in the New Testament, um, they're always encouraged to view the Scriptures very seriously. Um, you know, like Paul said to Timothy, you know, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing whom you have learned it, and how from your childhood you have been well, well acquainted with the sacred writings, and which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. And that's when he says all scripture is breathed out by God and proper for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So we see, we don't see any discouragements about viewing scripture the same way they had always viewed scripture, but we see many encouragements about how important it is. You know, Jesus said, um, if you have bought, if, um, you have my commandments and keep them. That's the person who loves me, the one who keeps my commandments, the one who has them, you know, mm -hmm. keeps them in some real way. You know, you can imagine, again, this, you know, write them on your heart, this memorizing scripture, keeping it with you. You know, Jesus said, if you abide in my words, then you are truly my disciple. So there's a very, there's a very big emphasis on how important scripture is in the New Testament as well. Um, finally, the New Testament letters were meant to be read out loud to congregations in total. So like we see this, for example, in Colossians 4.16, Paul says, after you've read this aloud in front of everyone. So, and that in itself says a lot, because it means that the standard at that time was that these letters would be read out to the congregation. So then he's just casually saying, you know, as you're reading this letter out, after you've read it out, send it to the Laodiceans so they can read it out in front of their congregation. So um, these letters, and again, we said one that's a big example that we've talked about again and again was Romans, that Romans was meant to be read out and understood. You know, the, you know that's the picture of it is, hey, read this letter out in the congregation because they can understand it. And they were written in Koine Greek, which was the common person's Greek. They had these more scholarly Greek languages that they could have written in, but they didn't. They wrote in the common person's Greek. 
So, and they wrote it in order so that the common people could understand, comprehend, and wrap their minds around what was said. They're expected to. You know, they're expected to grasp these concepts. And again, we see proof of this concept in James 1, where he says the letter, this letter is addressed to the 12 tribes of Israel. And so basically to be read out to all of the Jewish congregations, that these letters were meant to really be understood, read in a big way, not taken piecemeal, and like we often do today. Mm-hmm. So you actually talk about two ones. One is the whole book, um, whole book as one setting, mm-hmm. um, because it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a whole book. Yeah. And then the second one is one community, mm-hmm. like the whole community. Mm-hmm. So um, again, like, I, I get it. Why why are those things so important? But then it seems it's very far away from our um, modern church culture now. Mm. Do you, do you expect us to uh, apply? But how like how how do we apply? Yeah, that's a great question. And so in this way, we have to really think about it. You know, we have to wrestle with this ourselves too. And we think about okay, these letters were written for a specific purpose at a specific time. And they were often read as a whole, and they were taken in as a whole. You caught the whole idea. So I think one thing actually N.T. Wright said in one of his talks recently that we got to go to, which was really cool. We got the picture. Mm-hmm. You took the picture with him um, or me with him, and that was really cool. But um, he said, you know, that it's that part of discipleship, in his opinion, is really reading scripture not only in small portions and having it, you know, that's smaller portions of understanding it, but we need to read scripture also in in large portions. So I think part of our habit as individuals in our own lives, we need to develop a habit of, you know, listening on the way to work, listen to the whole book of Romans, you know, on the way to and from work at one point. It really, so one of the amazing things that you see is really um, that these books don't take that long. Like I think at the most, like a book of the Bible takes maybe 30 minutes. For someone, if you're listening the through New it with Testament. a Bible app, yeah, the, the New most, Testament. Yeah, 30 minutes, that's right. Yeah, so. And that's really the, just, just the commute time. Yeah, and that's like a normal sermon. That's less than a normal sermon. So you can listen to the whole book and then just trying to wrestle with what is the main gist? What is Paul saying to these people? What is, why did Matthew write this gospel out? Why did John write this gospel out? Like really grasping that is so vital to catching the real meaning mm-hmm. and then applying it to our lives because that's what we're called to do. We're called not just to you know take God's words, but to obey it. You mm-hmm. know, again, again, we're encouraged to obey it. And I think there's so much lack of obeying Scripture and the commandments in Scripture because we don't understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. So I would just really encourage people to first of all, if you're not in the Word at all, begin to just you know have some time in the mm-hmm. Word. But then also. Um, before you're getting into a book, maybe read a commentary on what is the background, and what is the culture. The fear of, yeah, like, I cannot understand the book. Come on, for the for for the letter of Romans, even there were many people who could not read at that time. Yeah, who were not educated really. Yeah, who went to no school. Yeah, for some of them. Yeah, because it's logic and common sense and history in that book mm. actually, and also. Um, for me, I don't know about you, but for me, actually, I have lots of time. I just need to be busy with my hands. Mm. But really, my 
my mind is uh can be idle. Mm. Like for example, washing dishes, uh, weeding, uh, folding clothes, washing clothes, cleaning the house, uh, just many things, you know,、mm. uh, exercise even, right? So, uh, really, like, uh, throughout the year, if if I just say listening the Bible, so so oftentimes I have my quiet time. For example, recently is the Book of Revelation, uh, but actually every day when I first um uh wake up. I、mm. I didn't feel that wake up yet, so I would listen to the Bible,、uh, and then eat or something else, and then I would sit down to、um, read that day's chapter or something. But then actually in the listening part, oftentimes it's seven or eight chapters, and each day I just stay in that、mm. um, until I finish. So when I finish, actually like that. Uh, in my devotional for、um, that book, I already listened to it for twenty times, maybe,、mm, that's right. and and that's really really helpful. And so count all the times actually for、uh, cooking and washing dishes every day. Actually, for hours I can listen to great sermons,、mm. uh, great books.、Uh, mm. That's why every year we can read more than、uh, at least like sixty、mm-hmm. books. Yeah,、um, listen to Bible. Mm. Or pray for people.、Mm-hmm. So each day, actually, I have at least like four or five hours of、mm. uh, getting nourished. Yeah,、right? exactly. And then, yeah, just like when we did Isaiah recently,、um, I listened to the whole book at least two or three times, and you know, and then read smaller portions as well, and kind of had my nightly time in the Word from reading smaller portions. But really, it's so yeah, it's such a big thing about grasping it when you do listen to the whole book, you know, a few times again and again to say, oh, what is it? What are they saying? You know, even some of the books, it's harder, like Isaiah or something that's longer. It's hard to grasp that、uh, everything that they're saying. But you can begin to get an idea, a feel for what is the general thing that Isaiah is saying, and what should we do about it. You really get that feel, and then as you study deeper, you look into More into the chapters and spend time in those smaller areas, you get you can pull out more application and more understanding.、Um, so just finally to summarize, the four facts that you should know before you open your Bible are number one, the Bible is a diverse collection of writings. It's not just one big book. Each writing was specifically selected based on certain criteria, based on reasons to believe in its inspiration, that it was written at a certain Time that was important. It's worth in getting to know God and learning about Him. It's like a case file gathered with the best evidence.、Um, fact number two: Each book is written for a different purpose of God at a different time. So we have to read each one according to its genre and grasp it according to the purpose it was written for. For instance, like I said, the Psalms are written in all ways that kind of contradict and disagree with each other on the surface. But then, when we look at it as a book of poetry, we can see that oh, it's not literally talking about God as a big bird. It's not talking about God as an actual tower or a shield that someone holds that protects them from arrows. But God is actually represented. Those represent God's character in some real ways. Or in Ecclesiastes, we don't think oh, well, when it says that I've never found an honest woman, but I found some honest men, it doesn't mean that. Men are honest sometimes, and women are never honest. Yeah, but you know that was him wrestling with a certain, certain ideas and a certain worldview and things like that.、And、we have to see it in that context, and we have to learn from it. Like 
what was what was he going through and how can we really learn from that fact number three is the bible is not just some book that was written with like a big magic pen or through ghost writing like no one possessed the apostles and they wrote those things out you know the holy spirit inspires people to accomplish those purposes by bringing things to remembrance giving them boldness and giving them a talent for explaining ideas accurately Finally, fact number four that you want to know before opening your Bible is the writings in the Bible were written for common people, everyday people, people like you who are listening, people like me, and they were written for us to understand as a whole, you know, to read the whole book and to understand it and to grasp it and to come away with something real, come away with something deeper in understanding who God is. So, we can understand it. We don't need somebody standing between us and Scripture. We can enter in and we can understand it. We can wrestle with the things in it. And we can stand before God and we can um, really live for him as Christians. Um, so I hope that this episode has helped you to really wrestle with what the Bible is. And it will give you a better impression of what the Bible is. So that in your own reading, and your own spiritual life, um, you can really begin to grow and flourish in being able to grasp the Bible and spending time with the Lord in his word. We really hope that you will take advantage of God's word as a way that you can connect to God. And that's really the main reason we write this part of the foundation series, is we want you to know God. God bless you and subscribe us and comment down below.